From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bagel with you on this Monday, July 10th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming to you live from the Chinese capital. And on today's program, China and the Solomon Islands have announced the establishment of a comprehensive strategic partnership. Opposition lawmakers in South Korea have sharply criticized the UN nuclear watchdog over Japan's plan to dump contaminated water into the ocean. And seniors in China are embracing a new kind of lifestyle in their golden years. In business, China's new regulations on private equity funds. In sports, Red Bull's continued dominance on the F1 circuit. In culture and entertainment, an Israeli drama debuts on stage in Shanghai. Now the day's top stories. China and the Solomon Islands have announced the establishment of a comprehensive strategic partnership in the new era that's based on mutual respect and common development. Chinese President Xi Jinping met Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Sugavare in Beijing. President Xi said China upholds respect in its policies toward Pacific Island countries. He said China respects the sovereignty of island nations, respects their will and wishes, respects their cultures and traditions, and respects island countries' decisions to work together for development. The president also expressed China's support for the Blue Pacific 2050 strategy. The Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands is in Beijing for a week-long official visit. This is Manessa Sogavare's second visit in four years. One of the main uh, missions is to open the Solomon Islands Embassy in Beijing. The Pacific Island country established diplomatic relations with Beijing in 2019 after cutting ties with Taiwan. The Prime Minister will also travel to Jiangsu and Guangdong. Liu Serei has more on bilateral cooperation between China and the Solomon Islands. China view this as an opportunity to deepen political trust and to expand diplomatic uh, cooperation and uh, to strengthen people-to-people exchanges. And uh, the Solomon Islands, like many other Pacific uh, Island nations, uh, facing significant challenges of development. And China, through its Belt and Road Initiative, has provided much-needed infrastructure investment. And China has been involved in many uh, projects in the Solomon Islands, including the ports, the roads, and other facilities. And last year, China had signed a, a security pact with the Solomon Islands aims to improve the peace and stability and also runs parallel and complementary to existing cooperation arrangements between the two. And China said uh, this framework was conducted in response to the request and need of the Solomon Island. Its purpose is to assist the Solomon Island's social order. That was Lu Serei reporting. 
Uh, the first high-level conference of the Forum on Global Action for Shared Development is underway in Beijing. It aims to transform the Global Development Initiative from a Chinese proposal to an international consensus. Chinese President Xi Jinping sent a congratulatory letter to the event, emphasizing China's commitment to the initiative and the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. High-ranking officials and diplomats, including the Solomon Islands Prime Minister and former UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, are attending the forum. Chen Ziyuan has more. The first high-level conference of the Forum on Global Action for Shared Development opened on Monday, with four panels included to discuss how countries can work together and better reach the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. Wang Yi, the director of the Office of the Central Commission for Foreign Affairs, presented Chinese President Xi Jinping's letter at the event. As the largest developing country, China has always placed its own development in the coordinate system of human development, creating new opportunities for the development of the world with its own development. China will further increase resource input for global development cooperation. China has established an interagency coordination mechanism and kept close cooperation with the UN and its branches in China. The Global Development Initiative proposed by President Xi is closely linked with UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. The initiative has received support from over 100 countries and the UN. The goal is to tackle two major issues, project selection and fund support. The, uh, the triple planetary, planetary crisis uh, of biodiversity loss climate change and pollution, uh, coupled with a toxic mix of global uh, crisis, uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, conflict and civil unrest, gives, us, gives our gathering a, a greater sense of purpose and responsibility. World leaders have emphasized the importance of joining hands to face the challenges posed by decoupling threats in the world trade and uncertainties in global systems. We require global cooperation to handle common concerns such as the existential threat of climate change, conflicts, food and energy instability. And we must shift from billions, of, billions to trillions of dollars in developing financing. Officials say China foreign assistance has been transforming into a new model, shifting from bilateral to multilateral approaches and focusing on small yet smart projects. This will allow China to explore a wide range of topics in different areas. As the world leaders have called for during the opening event, it is time for countries to join hands in achieving the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals to improve their people's livelihood as well as those of global citizens. That was Chen Ziyuan reporting. China has been providing foreign assistance in various forms since the 1950s. Xu Wei from the China International Development Cooperation Agency says China has been working on a new model of foreign assistance. Traditionally, we focus more on government assistance. It is the main channel which emphasizes bilateral cooperation. Now we're shifting to a new model. Under this model, diversified aid entities participate, and not only bilateral but also multilateral. For instance, we actively explore tripartite cooperation with relevant developed countries and international organizations, such as Switzerland and Germany, to joint conduct projects. In African countries like Tanzania and Nigeria, in the area of agriculture and health, these projects are of great significance to people's well-being, and we call that small yet smart projects. Through Global Development and the South-South Cooperation Fund, we conducted more than 130 projects with 20 international organizations. And these projects range from disaster relief, food supply, health care, poverty alleviation to climate change. The spokesperson said the joint projects have benefited nearly 30 million people in 60 developing countries. And he added, China will step up efforts and invest in more resources. Coming up, opposition lawmakers in South Korea criticize the UN nuclear watchdog. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. 
At eight minutes past the hour, opposition lawmakers in South Korea have sharply criticized the head of the UN nuclear watchdog over Japan's plans to release treated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the ocean. IAEA chief Rafael Grossi was in Seoul for a three-day visit after the agency released a final report on the water discharge plan during his trip to Japan. Hundreds in South Korea have taken to the street in protest. Jack Barton has more from Seoul. The head of the International Atomic Energy Agency's visit to South Korea was marked by a series of protests calling for Japan to cancel its imminent release of contaminated water from the tsunami-crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant. I'm very angry at the fact that Japan chose this way to minimize economic costs despite the concerns of neighboring countries. I think Japan should demonstrate a more responsible attitude toward this issue. A member of the opposition Democratic Party even embarked on a hunger strike. You can believe in its safety only when it properly investigates the impact on the ecosystem, but it didn't conduct such an investigation at all. So the IAEA report shouldn't be credited as a safety guarantee for our people. The UN agency's secretary-general, Rafael Grossi, met with South Korean opposition politicians on Sunday, but failed to reassure them. He was told that if the water is safe, it should be used in Japan as drinking water or for industrial purposes. The South Korean government says it accepts the UN report, but will keep a ban on seafood from Fukushima and surrounding areas in place. That's not enough for some. I thought I might not be able to eat fish in the future, so I have eaten a lot of seafood in advance, thinking this will be my last chance to eat it. Even the DPRK criticized the plan, calling it unjust, in a statement released while Grossi was on the peninsula. That was Jack Barton reporting. A next up for Grossi are New Zealand and the Cook Islands. Both countries say they strongly oppose Japan's plan to release the radioactive water from Fukushima. New Zealand's called on Japan and the International Atomic Energy Agency to be open and transparent. Scientists have questioned the reliability of the Japanese data being used to assess the environmental risk. Owen Poland has more from Auckland. It could be several years before Japan's nuclear wastewater washes up on New Zealand shores. But the country's top nuclear physics expert has one major concern. My biggest concern is that just before the wastewater is released into the Pacific, that the radionuclides from the damaged reactor have not been properly filtered out. One of the main worries is that Japan and the International Atomic Energy Agency have relied on safety standards and data which Pacific Island nations say is inconsistent and inadequate. If you have garbage data, it's garbage in, garbage out. They don't really tell us enough about the biological and ecological consequences that are of, of most concern to people in the Pacific or people in Japan living on the coast. And people in the Pacific Islands fear that radioactive material could enter the food chain, which could ruin economies and lives. International models have predicted that radioactive material from the Fukushima power plant is likely to reach New Zealand's coastal waters sometime between 2026 and 2031. However, our Ministry of Health says that it's likely to be well short of any levels that could cause health concerns. New Zealand's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade says that Japan's discharge of treated water will have a negligible radiological impact on people and the environment. But it also says that transparency and open communication are essential to alleviate fears in the Pacific. One way of doing that is to allow foreign scientists to conduct their own tests. And I'd like to see maybe the neighbouring countries just to build up trust and, and openness from China, Korea, to have their own scientists there and take their own samples. The Fukushima discharges could begin as soon as next month, and the Pacific Collective on Nuclear Issues says the only way to stop Japan now is for Asia-Pacific nations to mount a legal challenge. The collective is now calling on Pacific governments to do that. China, South Korea, there are many options. And the idea is that you would take a case against Japan in the International Tribunal in the Law of the Sea. 
Meanwhile, the world can only watch and wait for any toxic fallout. That was Owen Poland in Auckland reporting on New Zealand's call for transparency over Japan's release of radioactive wastewater. It's been about a month since several explosions destroyed the Kokovka Dam in the Kherson region of Ukraine. People living near the area are still suffering. While farming and fishing activities have been disrupted, Stephanie Fried was uh, at a farm in Kherson. In the Kherson region, in villages dozens of kilometers from the point where the Kokovka Dam was exploded a month ago, People are suffering. I'm standing in the middle of farmland, and this is 50 kilometers north of Kherson. This was all destroyed. This used to be, or was going to be, sunflowers, barley, wheat. And the farmers in this area have said that this year, in terms of the harvest, the crops that were destroyed, total loss. So what they're facing is that beyond the fields that have been scorched because of shelling then you also have the flooding to take into account then leading up to the possible renewal of the grain deal exporting their goods to the rest of the world and whether or not the question of whether or not russia will agree to a renewed deal these are all concerns for them they've taken tremendous losses and and they're not quite sure how they're going to recoup those losses. They're hoping the grain deal will go through. Meanwhile, they've got wet ground. That was Stephanie Freed reporting. Thousands have taken to the streets in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to call for an end to criminal gang violence and the humanitarian crisis ravaging the Caribbean nation. The church decided to take action because we are all affected when things don't work out. We buy rice at the same price as people who aren't Christians. The insecurity affects all. Today, we are standing up and deciding to fight for another Haiti. We must all be one, because we all suffer from the high cost of living. Today, we're in the streets asking if Haiti can be free with this government. Can Haiti be free with this current education system? Last year, they increased the school fees. This year, we're asking for liberation for Haiti. United Nations estimated that heavily armed gangs have expanded their turf and now control communities accounting for 2 million people. Women and children face extrajudicial killings and sexual violence on a daily basis. The UN believes the chaos has fueled a humanitarian crisis, which has internally displaced over 165,000 people. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Chinese seniors are choosing travel during their golden years. Want to learn about world affairs in a more laid-back and accessible manner? Join insiders, experts, and analysts in the casual setting of the chat lounge to hear their personal experiences and opinions on major events and hot issues. Subscribe to Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Sixteen past the hour. A growing number of older people in China are embracing aging with the migratory bird style or destination retirement. Uh, with their free time and disposable income, seniors opt for a lifestyle that involves traveling to various locations and spending extended periods of time there rather than settling in a traditional senior care home within their community. Uh, Wang Chinwai has a story. <laughs> At the senior care center in Yinko, northeast China's Liaoning province, old people engage in an ensemble performance featuring the arhu, a traditional Chinese instrument. Many of them have come from across the country to Yinko, which serves as one of their chosen destinations for retirement. After retirement, I traveled to numerous places across the country, making new friends and broadening my horizons. Seniors adapt their destinations in accordance with the changing seasons. In the harsh winter, they travel to warm places in South China, while in scorching summer, they head north, much like migratory birds. We mostly go to Hainan in winter and continue northward in spring. 
When autumn arrives, we may return to our Beijing home and rest for a while, only to embark on our journey again. The popularity of destination retirement has been further bolstered by the availability of convenient aging facilities. In Kunming, a coveted summer destination in southwest China's Yunnan province, a range of homestays and apartments cater to the needs of traveling seniors. These senior-friendly accommodations are equipped with amenities such as bath benches, smart toilets, and emergency call buttons, ensuring a comfortable and safe environment for the residents. These features make the apartments more suitable and accommodating for older individuals who are seeking a convenient and enjoyable retirement experience. We have health nurses who take the temperature and blood pressure every morning and evening. Our meals are specially designed to meet the nutrition needs of elderly. If some seniors are in good health and like to go out, we'll help them to connect with the travel agencies for short-term travel. In key regions such as Guangzhou, Shanxi, Liaoning, Jilin, and Jiangxi, there are a total of 14 social organizations and nearly 300 elderly care institutions that actively support the migratory bird lifestyle. Official data indicates that as of the end of 2022, the population aged 60 and above in China constituted 19.8 percent of the total population. Projections suggest that this proportion will surpass 30 percent by approximately 2035. Factors such as increased leisure time, improved health conditions, and favorable economic circumstances will continue to contribute to the growing popularity of the migratory bird aging style. That was Wang Chinhui reporting on a new trend among seniors in China. China's aging population and complexity of medical procedures have prompted the emergence of so-called companion physicians in the country. They help patients navigate paperwork. They offer emotional support and even assist with some daily tasks such as bathing, dressing, and meal preparation. Zheng Tao has more. Many elderly people may come across a series of issues while seeing a doctor, such as how to get to the right department in the hospital. Or how to retrieve their medical report. As a result, companion physicians have emerged as a novel solution. It saves time and manpower. No one from my family can come with me. I feel a little unfamiliar in the hospital. Everything went smooth in the hospital with the help of my companion physician. My children helped me find a companion physician because they were worried about me. They are all busy at work and have no time. 32-year-old Cui Meng is a companion physician in Beijing. He says he can act as a trusted advisor, helping patients better understand their conditions and guiding them through the decision-making process. Cui studied the job a year ago after realizing the strong demand for such services. I went to see a doctor myself during the COVID pandemic. When I was going through the registration process on the machine, there were a lot of elderly people asking me how to operate it. I helped around five of them in just one minute. The job is complicated. Before receiving online orders, companion physicians need to provide a tailored solution for each individual to improve efficiency. At the same time, they should have the ability to provide reassurance and comfort to patients. We are acting as a temporary family member for patients. In the hospital, we can be the patient's children, brothers, sisters, or friends to help them handle all the procedures. Companion physicians are trained professionals who work alongside primary caregivers to ensure that patients receive the best possible care. We comfort and accompany the patients because when someone is unwell, their psychological state is not the same as usual. They are especially in need of care and comfort during this time. The growing demand is also driving the level of professionalism in this emerging industry. In Beijing, a companion physician charges between 600 and 1,000 yuan for a whole day. A full-time physician can earn above the average salary in the city. The decent pay has attracted many young people to the profession. I think this job is very promising. 23-year-old Song Xiaosheng, a companion physician in Tianjin, says the flexible working hours and the opportunity to help others were the main reasons for pursuing this profession. 
As the population gets older, there's a growing demand for services like these. A lot of my customers have mentioned that their parents might also need help in the future, especially since they themselves are not always available to be with them. Personally, I feel quite comfortable with this job. Young people working along in cities are also in need of this service. He Yin founded an online platform offering companion physician services two years ago, which has since expanded to a team of over 50 employees. Over 70% of our clients are the elderly. Most of the bookings are made by their children because they're not around. Around 20 to 30 percent are young people. Some medical procedures may require companionship, and these young people may not be familiar with them. They need someone to guide them through. As the demand for this service continues to rise, He Yin emphasizes the need for greater efforts in regulating the industry. We provide training for our companion physicians where they learn basic medical knowledge and are able to offer suggestions to different patients. Another crucial aspect we focus on is providing companionship. Since many of our clients belong to special groups, some of them require psychological support. Therefore, our companion physicians also receive training in psychological knowledge. The number of people aged 60 or above in China has exceeded 270 million, accounting for around 20% of the total population. Meanwhile, the group of young people living alone in cities has reached 92 million. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. The United States is suffering from all kinds of extreme weather. Uh, the summer is hotter and more dangerous, with temperatures rising to record highs globally. Jim Spellman reports. The U.S. is enduring a summer of extreme weather. Heavy rains in Chicago flooded city streets. Severe storms destroyed homes in the south, and 110-kilometer winds in the Midwest flattened crops and knocked down trees. This is the worst we've ever seen it, for sure. It's the worst that we've ever been hit here. Crews are battling wildfires in Arizona as farm workers in Ohio bake in the sun. We start early in the morning and try to... Uh, you know, try to beat the heat. You know, we'll try to be done out of the fields by noon at the latest. Some days we can, some days we can't. This past week likely brought the hottest days the earth has ever seen. You either stay in AC or you come out and get wet. Researchers say the extreme heat is a developing El Nino system combined with global climate change. Human-caused warming has made heat waves, heat domes like this hotter, more frequent, longer lasting, and covering larger areas. This is really important because heat is the deadliest kind of extreme weather in the United States. It kills more people than hurricanes and floods combined. Experts say we need to act now. Firstly, by stopping emitting uh, predominantly carbon dioxide that is causing the problem, but also by accepting that this is a new reality and there will be extremes and there will be more extremes. Uh, and we need to adapt our society to cope with that new climate. And experts say the extreme weather here in the United States is expected to get worse in the coming months as the El Nino weather system fully develops. Researchers also warn of a potentially intense Atlantic hurricane season beginning later in the summer. And that was Jim Spellman reporting. Parts of northern India are flooded after torrential monsoon rains slashed the region. Rescuers have saved at least 80 people in the Dara Basi region after the Gagar River flooded. Senior Inspector Batinda Baljeet of the National Disaster Response Force says uh, the flood is under control. Due to the overflowing of the Gagar River, the Gomoha extension, Dara Basi was severely flooded. So our team arrived here around 10 in the morning, started the search and rescue operation, and with our boats we rescued around 82 to 85 people, and we provided food to the people who needed it. The water level in the morning was 10 to 12 feet, but the flow has reduced and the situation is under control. Monsoon is deemed as the lifeblood of India's three trillion U.S. dollar economy. It delivers much-needed water to farms and restocks, reservoirs, and aquifers. Uh, the rainfall also brings relief from the worst of the summer heat.
Uganda has released a new variety of rice that uses up less water and is more drought resistant. China developed the newly uh, the new variety in collaboration with the Food and Agriculture Organization and the National Agricultural Research Organization in Uganda. Uh, rice breeders hope with higher yields uh, from new varieties, uh, farmers will be able to produce more more tons uh, to meet growing demand in Uganda. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's at 24 degrees Celsius overnight. Tuesday, a light rainfall in 34. Chongqing has 29 this evening, then clouds in 38. Last is down to 13, uh, then cloudy, turning to light rain in 26 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 28 this evening, sunny in 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight, a light rainfall in 35 on Tuesday. Islamabad's down to 24 degrees, then sunny in 34. Bangkok's at 26 overnight, then a light rainfall in 32. In Africa, Nairobi has a light rain in 27 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 9 this evening, then sunny in 21 on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and the Solomon Islands have announced the establishment of a comprehensive strategic partnership. Opposition lawmakers in South Korea have sharply criticized the UN nuclear watchdog over Japan's plan to dump contaminated water into the ocean. And seniors in China are embracing a new kind of lifestyle in their golden years. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigger with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, China's new regulations on private equity funds. In sports, Red Bull's continued dominance on the F1 circuit. In culture and entertainment, an Israeli drama debuts on stage in Shanghai. Uh, to contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Now, checking the day's headline news. China and the Solomon Islands have agreed to establish a comprehensive strategic partnership in the new era that's based on mutual respect and common development. Chinese President Xi Jinping told visiting Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare that China upholds the principle of respect in its policies toward Pacific Island countries. The president also expressed China's support for the Blue Pacific 2050 strategy. Prime Minister Sogavare, uh, Sogavare rather, will inaugurate the Solomon Islands embassy in Beijing as part of a week-long official visit. He'll also travel to Jiangsu and Guangdong. Preliminary results show that the incumbent Uzbek president has won the country's election, securing more than 87% of the vote. The snap election comes months after Shavkat Mirzoyev called a constitutional referendum, which paved the way for him to possibly serve two more presidential terms. Chinese President Xi Jinping has congratulated Mirzoyev on his re-election and said he's willing to work with the, his Uzbek counterpart on the development of the comprehensive strategic partnership between the two countries. 
The United Nations is leading calls opposing the U.S. government's decision to send cluster musicians to support Ukraine. Secretary General Antonio Guterres says he does not want to see the continued use of the weapon and called on countries to abide by the Convention on Cluster Munitions. Russia and Iran say the United States is aiming to prolong and complicate the conflict with its munitions supply. New Zealand and Cambodia have expressed their concerns over the potential threat to civilians. And Spain has also criticized the unilateral U.S. decision. North Korea has joined the list of countries in criticizing the International Atomic Energy Agency in Japan on the planned release of contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear facility. Pyongyang called on the IAEA's uh, or called the IAEA's action unjust in a demonstration of double standards, citing the UN nuclear watchdog's work to curb Pyongyang's nuclear program. North Korea also called upon the international community to stop Japan's plan and denounce the United States and a few other countries for not opposing the decision, saying that it puts the Earth's environment under serious threat. The Chinese mainland's resumed training for Taiwan ship crews in Fujian province. 18 trainees from Taiwan are getting some training now. Uh, with the certificates granted by the Chinese mainland, Taiwan seafarers can work on international shipping routes operated by the mainland. Uh, Hong Weisheng is part of a crew from Taiwan. After getting the Chinese mainland certificate, we will have more opportunities and choices of employment. Lin Zhongsheng from Fujian's Maritime Safety Administration says the administration's been working on improving this year's training plan. Since 2013, there have been more than 430 seafarers from Taiwan gaining the certificate issued by Fujian Maritime Safety Administration. This year, we optimized the training plan, aiming to create a good condition for the resumption of training. The project is expected to promote common standards in cross-strait shipping and integrated development of the shipping industry. Egypt says it'll host a summit of Sudan's neighbors on Thursday. The gathering will discuss ways to end a 12-week conflict between rival Sudanese military factions. This triggered a major humanitarian crisis in the region. Diplomatic efforts to halt fighting between Sudan's army and the rapid support forces have so, uh, so far proved ineffective. Competing initiatives have created confusion over how the warring parties might be brought to negotiate. Egypt was not involved in talks in Jeddah led by the United States in Saudi Arabia that adjourned last month after failing to secure a lasting ceasefire. The streets and open squares in the German capital are almost empty as visitors and locals have crowded into any available shade. Temperatures have been in the 30s Celsius in Berlin, and the German Weather Service has issued warnings for most of the country. In Cologne, people out on the street have embraced the heat. I think in the shade it's okay. And with a bit of a fan, it's okay. Drink well, drink a lot, then it's okay. We especially found a spot in the shade. We initially wanted to follow the parade, but better celebrate here in the shade than pass out there later or something. Uh, German weather forecasts say the heat is due to stay until the middle of next week. The depth of snow at the peak of Mount Chumalungma, also known as Mount Everest, is estimated at 9.5 meters, and that's much deeper than previously reported measurements. It's according to a report using ground-penetrating radar. The study was part of the Earth Summit mission last year. The thickness of the snow on top of the world's tallest mountain holds clues about the Earth's climate patterns in history, and it can help scientists understand uh, the response of the cryosphere to climate change. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, China's new regulations on private equity funds. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. 
Markets around the region uh, opened higher on some optimism of a slight thaw in China-U.S. ties following uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's visit to Beijing. However, by mid-morning, the focus really had switched to that latest inflation data, which uh, showed producer prices falling uh, at their fastest pace in more than seven years and consumer prices teetering on the brink of deflation. Uh, the weaker CPI and PPI data will have investors watching more keenly for stimulus measures and further loosening of monetary policies by the PBO. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index uh, ended up by almost a quarter of 1%, trimming uh, some of its early gains. Uh, the Shenzhen component closed about half of 1% higher. We saw materials, consumer and energy stocks among the stronger sectors, while real estate stocks proved to be the biggest drag on the indices. Solar panels producer Longji Green Energy was one of the top performers, though, after China's top economic planner, the National Development and Reform Commission, uh, said that the company had been among the uh, firms invited to a meeting aimed at addressing the concerns of private enterprises in China. We saw Longji shares rise 8.5%. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up a little over six-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was down around six-tenths of a percent. China's unveiled its first regulation on the supervision and administration of private equity funds. The regulation will motivate private investment to serve the real economy and support innovation instead of regulatory framework to better protect investor interests. Uh, China's Securities Regulatory Commission says as of May, the country had 22,000 registered private equity companies managing 153,000 funds worth more than 21 trillion yuan or 3, mil- or 3 trillion U.S. dollars. The regulation clarified fund manager responsibilities and penalties for misconduct uh, throughout the life cycle of a PE fund, which will diffuse risk and better protect investor interest. For more insights on the new regulations for supervision and administration of private equity funds, Lily Liu spoke to Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Novum RK Technologies. So how does the revised regulation aim to improve the ability of the PE industry to support the growth of the real economy and also facilitate technological innovation? By reading through this uh, new regulation, it has set out the framework and guideline for the development and operation of private fund management industry, which can include all kinds of funds, such as hedge fund, uh, private equity, venture capital, etc. It made clear guidance about the setting procedure of funds, what it can do and what it can't do, what areas are being encouraged to invest, such as high-tech area, etc. And it also made clear about the penalty about the, for the wrong behavior. Uh, this regulation can actually be viewed as a milestone for the development of China's private equity management industry. Uh, currently, more and more talent and capital are joining into this industry. There are tens of thousands of companies and funds in it. We have heard a lot, a lot of legends in this industry that the wonderful investment uh, brought profit to companies, investors, and fund managers. So with the prosperity of this industry, it will certainly bring more power into the growth of the economy. This new set of regulations, they include a specific chapter that outlines the investment scope and terms for uh, VC funds. Can you tell us how this potential effects of these regulations on venture capital firms? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that, that is the fourth chapter, the special content. Uh, reading through this chapter, we can see that its main purpose is helping the operation of venture capital, including at least the points such as uh, making the registration of venture capital easier, reducing the operating cost and the regulatory check on venture capital, uh, encourage and help the venture capital that work on things like high-end technology, value investment, uh, long-term investment, etc. So we can see that the purpose of this special chapter is clear, that is encouraging the venture capital with helping the growth of companies with a value investment approach, especially in the technology area. So for, for venture capitals that work that are working in this area, this special chapter is clearly a good news for them. And I think with the publishing of this special chapter, there will be more money coming into the venture capital business. That was Chen Jiehe breaking down uh, how the new regulation helps the PE industry to better serve the real economy. China's consumer price index was flat in June, with a decline of 0.2% from the previous month. Officials from the National Bureau of Statistics said port prices fell more sharply from a year earlier, although adverse weather and a rise in vegetable prices offset the drag on food prices. Meantime, China's factory gate prices in June fell by 5.4%, a wider decline than the previous month. The continued decline in commodity prices such as oil and coal attributed to the stats, as well as the relatively 
relatively high comparison base from the same period last year. The Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group, which formerly owned the bankrupt SVB, has sued the U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in a bid to recover $1.9 billion in cash. The regulators kept the money since it took over the group's banking subsidiary in March. SVB Financial Group says the FDIC's actions violate U.S. bankruptcy law. The ownership of the nearly $2 billion cash has been a central issue since the bankruptcy court hearings began back in March. Brunei's opened a container shipping route between its Seoul Deep Water Port and a major Chinese port in Guangxizhuang Autonomous Region. It marks the first such route between the Southeast Asian country and China. The newly launched route will cut the shipping period from up to one month to around one week, reducing transportation costs by roughly 30%. Uh, ports of call on the line include Bintulu in Malaysia and Hong Kong. Southeast Asia is experiencing a financial transformation driven by the rise of digital payments. As the impacts of this transformation continue to play out, Chinese mobile payment systems are leading the way in developing and advancing the digital economy. Dusita Saokiao has more. In recent years, Thailand has embraced a cashless society. From urban shopping centers to rural vegetable stands, it's just scan and pay. It's improved the lives of many vendors like Rachani, where this newfound convenience translates into more sales. Many customers just scan. If we do not accept Alipay, we cannot sell. Our revenue falls because Chinese tourists come to Thailand and spend a lot. At the heart of the country's digital payments boom are Chinese mobile payment platforms. China, because of the way they are doing things about technology, I think they're spearheading a lot of things, okay, including mobile cashless payments, okay, and that has trickled down, so to speak, into the tyrant tourism industry. It's a game changer. China has leapfrogged the world when it comes to mobile payments. But for emerging markets in Southeast Asia, this transition to real-time payments is striking, particularly in nations where cash had a stronghold on the economy. In Thailand, more than 90% of total transactions are expected to be paid via online channels this year. This adoption of QR payments is one thing, but being able to pay across country borders is another. A huge network that links up domestic payment systems is fast becoming a reality for five of Southeast Asia's largest economies. It will change the way tourists spend and travel. With a QR code facilitating payment, the process will feel no different from their usual domestic transactions, except it will just be in another country. Instant, no fees, and generally at better conversion rates. It involves the central banks between two countries making a settlement agreement using their local currency, no longer through the US dollar. It will facilitate the growth in trade, investment, tourism. Those are the elements that Asians are playing a big role today. Then, therefore, deregulations going to be happening be eroding the, the, the dollar dominance. As ASEAN becomes increasingly economically integrated, mobile payments will accelerate the expansion of local companies, spurring economic growth, even where physical infrastructure lags, loosening their dependency on the U.S. currency to grease the wheels of commerce. That was Ducita Saukau reporting. The job market in Britain cooled further in June. A survey shows that it could help ease some of the Bank of England's concerns about inflation pressure. The Recruitment and Employment Confederation and the accounting firm KPMG said increases in starting salaries for permanent and temporary staff were the weakest since April of 2021. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Red Bull's continued dominance on the F1 circuit. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.
47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Max Verstappen won the British Grand Prix to stretch his Formula 1 lead to 99 points. As unbeaten Red Bull equaled McLaren's 1988 record run of 11 victories in a row. The double world champion backed the fastest lap bonus point as well to pull almost four race wins clear of his closest rival and teammate Sergio Perez. But Verstappen says the race was more difficult than it looked. Well, I mean, the start wasn't uh, fantastic. I had a lot of wheel spin, which I, I need to, to look into why that was exactly. I think once I passed Lando, it took me a few laps to cool down the tyres. And after that, I think we had good pace because I think the last like 10, 15 laps of that stint, you know, we were nine seconds in the lead again, which I think was very good. Um, but then, of course, because of the safety car, everyone was back uh, together. And uh, we had the soft tire to the end, which uh, seemed to overheat a little bit more than I, I thought. So it was a bit more difficult to, um, to keep the pace up. McLaren's Lando Norris finished second in front of the home crowd at the Silverstone with fellow British driver Lewis Hamilton's third for Mercedes. Ferrari's underwhelming performance continued as Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz finished in 9th and 10th. China's Zhou Guanyu finished in 15th in his Alfa Romeo. In tennis, Igor Sviantek saved two match points to come back and claim a nail-biting victory against Belinda Bernchich at Wimbledon. The world number one was one set down and one point away from packing in the second set, but managed to bounce back winning the set through the tiebreak and took control from there. Well, I'm just happy that I, I won it because honestly, in second set, I, I wasn't sure that it's going to end that way. So I'm happy that I kind of kept, kept my belief uh, and I just, just played and I didn't look back. So um, it wasn't an easy match and, and the rhythm was pretty fast. So... Um, yeah, I am happy that also physically um, I felt good till the end and I could um, just keep going. Next up for Sviantek is wildcard player Elena Svitlina, who put together a heroic effort to come from a set and two love down to overcome two-time major champion Victoria Osarenka in three sets. In immense action, Novak Djokovic was stuck in a tough battle against Hubert Herkutz, but the defending champion managed to win two tiebreaks to hold a two-set lead when play of the day was suspended. Andrei Rublev escaped from a five-set thriller against Alexander Bublik to book his first Wimbledon quarter-final appearance. Yannick Sinner is also through to the last eight. And in football, Paris Saint-Germain added a fifth player to its squad since the start of the summer transfer window by signing French defender Lucas Hernandez from Bayern Munich on a five-year contract. Hernandez hasn't played a competitive game since injuring his knee while playing for France against Australia at World Cup in November. Reports say the deal was worth around 40 million euros. Hernandez won the Bundesliga title in each of his four seasons at Bayern and the Champions League in 2020, though he was an unused substitute when Bayern beat PSG 1-0 in that final. Turning to cycling, Canadian writer Michael Woods won the ninth stage of the Tour de France on a mountain track. He caught Matthew Jorgensen, who had gone solo for most of the stage, 450 meters from the line to Wayne. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm 36 years old, turning 37 this year. Uh, I'm not getting any younger. Um, I've always talked about winning a stage at the Tour de France, and and uh, yeah, I finally achieved it. I just just feel so fortunate to have so many great people behind me. You know, Denmark's Jonas Vingegaard retained overall leader's yellow jersey, but the Jumbo Visma rider did lose eight seconds to the Pogacar who attacked him on the final slopes of the climb. Monday is a rest day before the peloton returns to the mountains on July 14th. The 2023 Tour of Qinghai Lake has started in Xining. Belgian cyclist Timothy Dubon won the opening stage in a circuit race. Riders completed eight laps with three sprint points. Dubon broke away in the final stretch and captured the yellow and green jerseys. Actually, nobody knows how strong he is because we are on altitude. And um, yeah, on altitude, nobody knows uh, how it's going to be uh, in, the, in the sprint. And uh, today, I have a really strong team. This year's tour of Xinhai Lake takes place through July the 16th over eight stages. The event welcomes international teams for the first time after joining the ICU Pro Series this year. 
In golf, Austria's Sepp Straka boosted his Ryder Cup chances by claiming a second PGA Tour title in the John Deere Classic, despite a double bogey on the final hole. Straka pulled his approach into the water left of the grain. It meant Straka had to settle for a 62 with six groups still to finish. A birdie on the 14th took Brandon Todd winning a shot of the dead, but the, the American came up short on the final two holes. And finally, in the NBA, Victor Wembanyama showed some fire for his second act in the Las Vegas Summer League. The number one pick in this year's draft looked much more like himself, finishing with 27 points and 12 rebounds. But the Spurs lost 85 to 80 to the Portland Trail Blazers. Wembanyama made nine of 14 shots and also made three blocks, leading a comeback where the Spurs cut a 19-point deficit down to one. He was only two for 13 from the field in San Antonio with so Vegas opening win in over Charlotte. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. This is the Beijing Hour, and coming up in culture, an Israeli drama debuts on stage in Shanghai. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. 53 past the hour in culture and entertainment, and Israeli dramas made its debut in Shanghai, marking the beginning of the 2023 Israeli Theater Showcase in China. The hope is to strengthen cultural ties both on and off the stage. Ubin has more. A drama presented by Israel's famous Michafiga Theater. The Superflorous Man, based on the novel Oblomov by Russian author Ivan Goncharov, debuted in China on July 8th. The crew say they hope to provide audiences with an original, immersive experience. It's performed in Hebrew, with both Chinese and English subtitles. The director has been in China twice before and says he misses Chinese audiences. In this show, it's, um, it's about the nothingness, and it was very important for me to try not to put a lot of effort in make the audience uh, laugh like crazy or, or to make a lot of big dancing. So the story here, it's very important. The Superflorous Man is the first showing in the Israel Theatre Showcase, a program run by the Shanghai Culture Square Theatre. The deputy general manager says the goal is to provide theatre lovers with a unique experience. Every play we select fits the scale of a large theatre, but at the same time, we pursue humanistic qualities and depth. China and Israel have strong cultural ties. Envoys from Tel Aviv have struck a positive tone about the showcase, saying it's an opportunity for Chinese audiences to learn about their country. After three years of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are delighted to finally welcome the return of Israeli culture and Israeli art to Shanghai. I know as Israelis, we've been eagerly waiting for this moment. And I know also for the Chinese audiences, it is very important for Israeli culture to return. China and Israel both have profound cultures and have been actively promoting cultural exchanges. Two other shows, The Debug and Hamlet, are also said to debut in China later this year. That was Ubin on the debut of an Israeli drama in Shanghai. Horror film Insidious, The Red Door, has dethroned Indiana Jones' reign atop the North American box office. The film, starring and directed by Patrick Wilson, scared up nearly $33 million in ticket sales on its opening weekend. Our family has been through a lot together. You told me that when I was 10. The Insidious franchise began in 2011 and has been responsible for over $570 million in global box office returns. None of the films have cost more than $16 million to produce. Disney's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny took second place in its second weekend with $26.5 million in North America, as down by over half from a week earlier. Its revenues projected to further slow down when Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 opens on Wednesday. The Harbor Chili Carnival is kicked off in Hong Kong. The event's presenting a string of programs over five consecutive weekends free of charge to entertain locals and tourists. Uh, the carnival features 20 waterfront carnivals along with light shows, fireworks displays, street performances and even X Games events. 
Norfolk Village in England has once again hosted the World Snail Racing Championship. The race took place on a cloth-covered tabletop marked with a couple of circles. The first snail to reach the outer circle is named the victor. Uh, a snail named Evie won the race. It was trained by four-year-old Letty Sprague, the youngest winning trainer in the event's history. And her mom says it's an exciting race. Very, very happy. We have been looking after Evie all day in the heat, haven't we? We've given her bits of water and hosta leaves uh, to keep her all, all ready for her racing, haven't we? And you're very happy, aren't you? Well, Saturday's finishing times ranged from 5 to 16 minutes. Uh, the record time for a snail to cover the 33-centimeter distance was set by Archie back in 1995, and it stands at uh, 2 minutes and 20 seconds. The Sweetest City of Malmo will host the 2024 Eurovision Song Contest in the same venue that housed the music competition back in 2012. The 68th edition will be at the Malmo Arena, and uh, the live televised final has been set for May the 11th. Organizers picked Sweden's third largest city after what they called a strong bid process, examining venues, accommodations for visitors, infrastructure, and other factors. Well, in May, Sweden won this year's contest in Liverpool, England, with the song Tattoo by singer Loreen, who also won that uh, competition, uh, the Eurovision, back in 2012. We're at 58 past the hour in Beijing's at 24 degrees Celsius overnight. Tuesday, we'll see a light rainfall in 34 degrees. Chongqing's at 29 this evening, then cloudy in 38. Lasses down to 13, then cloudy, turning to a light rain in 26 degrees. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening, followed by sunshine in 33. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight, a light rainfall in 35 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 24 tonight, then sunny in 34. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then a light rainfall in 32. In Africa, Nairobi has a light rain in 27 degrees. And finally to Oceania, the city's at 9 this evening, then sunny in 21 on Tuesday. Auckland's down to 12 overnight, then a light rainfall in 14. Port Vila has a light rain and 26 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and the Solomon Islands have announced the establishment of a comprehensive strategic partnership. And opposition lawmakers in South Korea have sharply criticized the UN nuclear watchdog over Japan's plans to dump contaminated water into the ocean. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.